Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today, Dean Matt Waller and Dr. Andrew Bram are joined by Kelly Barnes, Global and U.S. Health Industries Leader at PwC, Price Waterhouse Coopers. Her top five values are lead by vision and inspiration versus authority, create a team that complements and challenges you, build trust and a transparent culture, choose and have fun. We have with us today Kelly Barnes, who has been at Price Waterhouse Coopers PwC for 31 plus years. She established PwC's Health Research Institute, a highly regarded information and trend resource in the health industry. What I'm particularly excited about is she graduated in accounting from our university in 1988, and she is on my advisory board the Dean's Executive Advisory Board. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kelly. Thanks, Matt. It's my pleasure. So, Kelly, we talked to you about your values and and which values are important to you. And the first value you listed was lead by vision, inspiration versus authority. Would you mind telling us about that a little bit and how you came to that? Sure. I think... In any organization, and certainly one as large as PwC, we have a lot of structure, and you need leaders to guide a, a business that has over 55,000 employees, and the health business has just a, a few in there. But what I think is so important is that when you have positional authority, it doesn't mean people are going to follow you. So having a title doesn't make you a leader. It puts you in a position. The way i found that I'm inspired by the leaders around me is when they create a vision and a strategy that I can find my place in, where I can begin to push and drive and grow. And I think when you do that, you not only create a leadership structure for your teams, but you also create what I call a flatter, faster team, because you're all working for the same goal. And it doesn't matter who's in what position, as long as you're aligned around where you're going. So it's about destination, and all of that's fueled by passion. right? If you're passionate about that outcome, and I can bring my people through to share that vision with me, then we've got a great thing. You know, that reminds me of an article that I read by Philip Cotter. Uh, Andrew and I both read several years ago. It was in the Harvard Business Review. It's called What Leaders Really Do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they set direction, they gain alignment, and they provide motivation. Basically, what you're saying is the vision and inspiration and passion really kind of do all three of those at the same time. And we read another article called In Praise of Incompetent Leaders, but one of the things they talk about in there, the idea is that no one person is fully competent, has everything that we need. I agree with that. And one of the four capabilities that they identified as being really important is visioning. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. I think that 
and I was talking to you guys a bit about this earlier, that there's some favorite quotes about leadership, and one speaks about the fact that leaders stand in the space between what was and what has yet to become. So you're in that gap of trying to take your institution, your organization from a place where they have been comfortable and perhaps been working to a place that they can't quite see yet. It's just over the horizon. And so for my team, we do that by setting a strategy around the industry. And we talk about then how we can drive our capabilities and talent to that. That's so much more, I think, passionate and inspiring to our people versus saying in two months time, we want to have this metric or that metric. I'm really pushing that team to go beyond and you're right, we're all imperfect leaders. We don't have enough time on this podcast for me to tell you all of my weak spots as a leader. But it's the best leaders know they have blind spots and weaknesses. And that really gets into the team that you build around you. You put people around you who compliment you, who challenge you, and then you inspire them and give them the space to lead and to run. And you're a better leader. And they'll also help you shape that vision, right? And restate it when it needs it. So you've been a PwC for 31 plus years. Yeah, we and don't talk about the plus, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're in a very senior position, and you're from Arkansas. I mean, that's nice that you're from Arkansas and you're in this unbelievable leadership position. But I've seen in a lot of organizations like yours that a lot of people in senior positions are from Ivy League schools. Mm. How did you overcome that? Ah, well, I think what I would tell you is I never felt like there was anything to overcome. I think that quality gets quality. And I was fortunate to join a great group of team members, 32 of us in all at PwC in Dallas. And and I work for a firm that rewards talent and enthusiasm. And through that process, I just watched my career begin to move and I think that it doesn't really matter what your beginnings are when I was oh I don't know I would say eight years ago the senior partner the very leader of PwC came from a very small school so the value of your education is what you make of it right and I'm very proud to say that I went to the University of Arkansas in fact I think Sometimes I get into some great conversations about what that means and the power of that. I had professors here who invested in me. I had faculty who challenged me. And from that, I learned to always be adaptive and to kind of push myself. And then you take that into this work environment, and here you find yourself 31-plus years later. You have also, as an advisor to me, given me vision. And I know when we first started the McMillan Innovation Studio, It was focused primarily on seamless commerce, supply chain, and analytics. Mm -hmm. And you came in and you said, I think there's a big opportunity to focus on health and well-being in the McMillan Innovation Studio. And you explained what you thought. You provided the vision. And we loved it. We thought it was a great idea. But when we thought, how are we going to implement this? It was kind of expensive to implement. (laughs) So you gave us $500,000, and PwC gave us some money as well. Mm -hmm. And we're still seeing the benefits of that. That's great. So thank you for doing that. So you not only provided the vision, but you also provided the resources to do it. And I think there's something similar in any leadership position. You know, it's one thing to have vision, but somehow a leader has to get the resources to you do, do that. And you have to commit. You have to commit to this vision. I asked you guys to take a bit of a 
a left turn, a right turn, you can, you know, choose your direction and, and really drive behind the power of this incredible institution, your role in the state, your connection to the engineering college and all the other great colleges here on campus, and do something for the health and well-being of a population that candidly is underserved today. Well, it turns out that was very prescient because the Northwest Arkansas Council hired a consulting firm to look at Northwest Arkansas and kind of say, where do we need to close some gaps? Oh, awesome. And the biggest one was in healthcare, health and well-being, broadly yeah. speaking. And it was kind of nice because I thought, we've already got a lot of traction now because of the McMillan Innovation Studio and the vertical that you founded. And it was perfect, you know. So as a result of that, we've also attracted some unbelievable talent. We have one of the top healthcare supply chain experts in the world that we hired uh, last year. Outstanding. He's here. But we've hired some others as well, faculty. But it's funny how, you know, the vision you provided and the resources you provided started to have a cascading kind of effect on our college. But then when the Northwest Arkansas Council came out with the report, it was focused on health and well-being, I thought, this is fantastic. You know, it See, you were be. ahead of the curve. Exactly. We were way ahead <laughs> of it. But I think that, that that story, by the way, puts a big smile on my face, and thank you for that. I think you recognize it, too, the impact that you have as the dean over this college and just starting that ball rolling, just getting that idea moving. I just had some baseline ideas. You were the ones who really picked it up and said, let's begin to turn that Rubik's Cube and figure out what we can do with this. And then here comes this talent that's attracted behind it. So that is, I think, one of the best days as a leader when you see something really take off. That was a kismet moment. You know, we have our successes, we have our failures, but from all of them we learn. And I learn from every conversation I have with you. Well, thank you. That vision and gift was just invaluable. I'm excited. And I know that you had mentioned that building trust and being transparent, the culture should be transparent. Yep. What do you mean by that, and how do you build that trust and transparency? Yeah, I think that building trust starts with good values, being fair, really adhering to the standards that you set, and walking that journey with your people. You can't set a set of rules and standards and then as a leader say, but they don't quite work for me. I think building trust is allowing people to fail with success, i.e. it's something that you learn through. Transparency says there aren't secrets here. We're going to tell you that this journey might be hard. PwC is in the midst of digitally upskilling all of our people. We've announced a huge investment in that, not only in the U.S. now, but around the globe. And in that journey, that means things are going to be a bit bumpy as we figure out what do we digitize and what might you have done. But the power of that when you get transparent with your people, one of my favorite examples is one of our audit staff who took a process for confirmations that was taking that engagement team two weeks to do. Very complicated. She got into our digital lab and she created a process that takes 12 seconds. And that's the power of being transparent and saying, we want you on this journey with us. And when we set up a strategy, are we perfect? No. Will we have failures? Yes. But let's talk about them and work them through. When your people trust you, they get bold. They take chances within the bounds, right? We want everybody to stay within ethics and you know good quality, but they feel more empowered because they appreciate the fact that you are going to trust them. You mentioned digital acumen. Yes. You know, there's so much going on right now 
in the world. I remember maybe six or seven years ago, the Harvard Business Review had a special issue mm. on big data, yeah. uh, predictive analytics, and data science. And I read it and really enjoyed it. But it was right on the front edge. And I thought, I used to think, well, big data is I mean, just more data. Yeah, we data. All, we're going to monetize our data. We're exactly. going to collect this big data, right? Well, I, I remember hearing the metaphor, and I can't cite this because I don't remember where I heard it. The metaphor I heard was to phot photography. So, you know, people came out with uh, a camera mm -hmm. and they had photographs. But when the when film was created, the idea of taking lots of pictures and running them together, you know, to show a moving picture, you could say, well, that's just a camera again. It's mm -hmm. just a bunch of little, but it's fundamentally different. It is. Fundamentally different. And, and that was when I realized, yeah, big data is, is different. You know, there's, there's more of it. There's more variety. Mm -hmm. We can get it more quickly. Right. And in some cases, it's more accurate. It depends. In a lot of cases, it's more accurate. And it's how do you harness the power of that data, right? So we went through this notion of we need to aggregate data and how do we put data together, how to deal with natural language processing, all this different kind of data. We're past that. It's now about the speed of innovation. And you look at great companies like Walmart, like Amazon, they're amazing with data. And it's predictive data and it's really understanding the human. And so I watch health and I say we need to go there. And I think any business today needs to say, how will I be disrupted? by this digital wave that's coming, whether it's through new companies that might enter my space or candidly, the speed of my own processing. So now you think back middle and front office and PwC as a firm said, when you think about auditing in the future, when you think about tax work and consulting work in the future, why wouldn't these processes to a great degree be automated? And then you get the data and then you bring the judgment and the insight. But your people have to know you don't have quality if you don't understand how you arrayed that data. So that's what we've been doing. We've been saying, listen, we think some of the traditional tasks and skills, not only for our company, but for many others, will go away. And if you spend time and invest to digitally upskill your people, while not everyone may stay in an organization, if they're digitally upskilled, you really set them up, as you do with a baseline education, to go find that next thing and be more fit for the market. So that's been the the thinking that we have in that space. Now I know you're very involved in the International Women's Forum. Mm -hmm. What is that? So it's a great group of female leaders across multiple countries, multiple states, and what it creates for women is a great network. There's all kinds of learning opportunities, networking opportunities, and it's, it's a place to really share leadership, thoughts, challenges, learn new topics, kind of expand your own horizon. And I think also as you then connect globally, there's nothing more powerful to me as a leader or a colleague or a professional as a relationship. Right? I think we all know that. The power of your relationship can do so many things as you go through your career. So that's just another fantastic place to build these relationships with people you might not otherwise connect with, you might not know. And I have to tell you, I stand in awe of a lot of the women who are in that organization. It's incredible. And just as a girl, I'm going to tell you, it's very empowering to be around a strong set of females because we continue to move the glass ceiling. But I just read a report yesterday about the number of 
women leaders in health and the pyramid is not tipping over. It's sort of staying in place. So I think we still have to engage in the power of networking to drive forward more female leaders. Speaking of networking and just relationship management in general, Mm -hmm. this is challenging. We have, right, if you're a leader, you've got people that report to you, you've got to maintain a relationship with. You have people above you. Mm-hmm. You have your, your peers. Your posse. Yep. <laughs> you have uh, all kinds of constituents, customers. Mm-hmm. Clients, yep. Politicians, mm-hmm. nonprofit organizations, et cetera, et cetera. Maintaining relationships across, especially in a position of, that you're in, you know, if you're in a low-level position, it's not quite as hard. But when you're in a really high-level position like you're in, I would think it would be really complicated to make sure you're nurturing and maintaining those relationships. I don't know if I'd call it complicated. I would call it prioritization. I think people are people on all levels. And I think your teams feel gratified when you know about their kid or their parent or their love for running or the fact that they feel the need to take vacation at this place or that place, and just that point of interest, and in their career as well. So for me, it's a priority. If you send me an email, I'm going to get back to you. I know you do. <laughs> somebody I... calls me, I'm going to get back to them, because that, to me, the rest of it will wait. If there's a form I need to fill out, it'll be there. The college has been working on our marketing strategy. Yes, you have. And we've been developing this and executing it, and it's working well. I really wanted feedback from the board, my board, on this, and so I cut it down in size. It was still pretty long, and I thought, I'm afraid nobody's going to read this because it, the short version of it's long. You know, it was like <laughs> you gave us a nice pages. intro. This is going to be a long read, but stay with me. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'll send it out and see if someone reads it. If they don't, then I can. I can create a, even a simpler version, but I really wanted you all to see all of the uh, points in it. So I sent it out. You were the first to respond, and it was clear that you had read it because you commented on all kinds of things in it and gave me some advice about maybe some things where we need to look at. I was surprised you, you did that. How, how did you, I mean, you were traveling at the time. I don't remember where you were. In another country. You were in another country. <laughs> Definitely yeah. another country. How did I do that? It, because when you come into my mailbox, you matter. That's just it. The people around me, I have tremendous respect for you. I have tremendous respect for this institution, right, which started me on this great career that I have. But more importantly, I want to help you. And I think that it's a comment that I often get from people. There's no one that I want to talk to. I get a lot like... Kimber, who's a recent U of A grad who just started with PwC in Dallas. She's reached out to me. I've met her for coffee twice. I'm going to meet her again. Thank you. Yeah, because I just want to help her be successful. And I will tell you, when you build those relationships in, one day Kimber's going to be who knows what and where in the firm. And I might need a favor and she's going to be right there for me. But most importantly, she's going to remember this as she grows through her career. And I want people to reach back because it's a human business and it's important. And I have relationships from when I was a young staff with clients who are now CEOs of some pretty big companies, but it's the fact that we can go back and and laugh about when we were just sitting in accounts payable. (laughs) 
I'm trying to get things done. So it matters to me. I can prep everything else. The paperwork, the process is important. When I need to sign a document off, that's important. But you prioritize clients, people, process third. So we've gone through three of your values so far. The first is lead by vision and inspiration versus authority. Mm -hmm. The second was create a team that complements and challenges you. And the third was build trust and a transparent culture. Now the fourth one, I have to admit, I was a little, I would say confused by, because it's simply choose. Yes. And my definition I know it's of choose, a one word, wasn't it? I got you on that. It's one word, yes. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of embellishment around it. And as I'm sitting here listening, first of all, I appreciate all of the stories and all your perspectives. When you said choose, were you saying it through the lens of you choose how you spend your time or you choose how you build your teams? Or what were you thinking of when you thought of the word choose? That leaders have to choose and all those things. But most importantly for your team and for your group, mm -hmm. You cannot lead by consensus. It's a short path to a failure, in my view. So a good leader listens. They listen long. This dean listens long to his board, to his teams around him. I've noticed that and observed that. And then you make a choice. You make a decision, and the institution moves. And I think in the absence of that choice, your people then end up without the structure behind that vision, without the path to go on with you. And so, you know, going back to that, if you're standing in that space between what was and what will be, you have to make choices about where you're going on that path. And you also have to make choices as a leader about where you spend your time because you are not incorrect, Matt, that you can, I can spend all kinds of time on internal stuff, on emails, on just trying to get my teams where I want them to be, or I can enable my teams to go execute on their element of that strategy and I can refocus my time and candidly when you put that great team around you that's what makes you a better leader because it frees your time I don't worry that these pathways are not being created and that we're not driving to a solution I'm allowed to play a little bit more in the spaces that I think are going to help my teams in the future and I, and I appreciate that and I also appreciate how you do quite a bit of blogging on LinkedIn which is very handy when you're preparing for an interview. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. You're sure welcome. But something that you mentioned, you were this is going back to the digital upskilling, which you were talking about with Matt before. But you said taking an agile approach is important, not to get it right 100% of the time. But then you also add on there, technology is changing too rapidly for that. Yep. So I have I have two questions about that. One, I'll come up with at least two answers. But, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> People don't want to hear me and Matt talking. They want to hear you talking. The, my, my first question is, if you know you're not going to get it right 100% of the time, like how can you set that boundary of knowing there's a high chance of failure and willing to take that risk versus taking another path, which is a little safer? And then my second question is, how can we even start to try and understand technology when, you know, 10 years ago we had rotary, well, maybe 20 years ago now, we had rotary phones, you know, and now our cell phones have as much computer power as our first desktop computers did. Like, so those are my kind of two, two points on that quote. Yeah, well, I think to start with, with or without digital and changes in technology, we all have failures. There's just no question about that. I think what you do, there are some guardrails that you need to set. I think you pick the places where you want to go bold 
and you understand the risks around them. And then I have this one foot on the brakes, one foot on the gas philosophy that you also have to put your foot on the brakes. There are some basic things that need to continue to happen that your people need to know are the certainties when they wake up and show up and enable them in some respects to be bold. So you can imagine even within our business as we push digital, there's still some core services that I need to make sure my people are delivering, that the market is accepting, because you're also pushing the market. When you move ahead of demand, you have to be thoughtful that you're not leaving things kind of on either side of the road. Mm -hmm. So that's important. And I think telling people, that goes back to trust, we know we're not gonna get this right. Mm -hmm. This stuff is moving super fast and somebody may build it better, faster, or different. That's okay. Pivots to your second question, which is when we talk about agility, and no, we don't know. And Clayton Christensen, you can go through all the theories of how fast this is going to explode and what robots are doing and robotics are doing today. I watched a robot solve a Rubik's Cube with one hand the other day on a video. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing these, where we're going to be. But what I think is this agility notion, and it's part of this digital upskilling, is to say, well, you may not know you need to be and feel comfortable and empowered to engage. In other words, quit blocking that change and embrace that change and drive through it and into it. And by giving you the basics of what some of these technologies are, what they might mean, blockchain at all, staying current, while you may not quite see how it will fit, you'll know enough about it to begin to vision how it can fit and help to drive. And here we're going to be co-creating with the market, with you guys, with a lot of players. And that brings us to your, your last value which is, I think, the most interesting. And it's simply have fun. Yeah. Because when you walked into this room, you were bubbling with energy. You could tell you were excited to be here, even though you had just spent 20 minutes in line <laughs> at a Starbucks. Yes, so, that was a little depressing. <laughs> but, but you're obviously living that value. And, and to have it as one of your top five, I think, is very impactful to tell people that's of that much importance to you. Yeah, look, I... Um... I tell people every day we're not saving lives, right? My husband's a nurse. I've shared that with you guys before. When he has a tough day, it puts mine in perspective. Yeah. But most importantly, we need to come together as a team. We work hard, and there's just a lot of great things that are happening. We should share them, and we should share the funny things that happen in our lives inside and outside of our professional environment. And I think when you bring that energy and that sense of um, lightness to situations, it kind of brightens up whatever you're doing with your clients, with the people around you. And I just, we work hard. I want people to realize that I'm human, I'm imperfect. It is okay to have a joke at my expense. I can make them all day long. So <laughs> I don't want it to be disrespectful ever across the line, but I just want to remind people that if you're passionate about what you're doing, you will find joy and fun in it somewhere. You do always bring joy to the situation. I'm curious, did you learn to do that? Or were you doing that from the very beginning? No, I'm going to take that back to my family, right? One of five girls and just, my parents were just great. Like we just, we had fun as a family. And I think I learned that when I met people who didn't quite have that joy in their life, that it felt like they were holding back a bit. And the more you engage with them, even when it's a really serious situation, if you can just tell them there is some light at the end of the tunnel and yeah, you know, maybe if you whip that magic eight ball over, he'll tell you the answer. It just brings people to a happier spot. So I, I think it's been there all along, and I kind of refuse to believe in the, um, what I call the dumpster diver. Things are always going to go to the negative philosophy because it takes you nowhere. It's interesting, you know, the higher you are in a leadership position, the more you have lots of ups and downs in a day or in a week. Mm -hmm. Because 
Well, the more people in your organization, the higher the probability something's going to go seriously wrong. Yes. And you have to deal with it. You are responsible at all times. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And then a day later you realize that wasn't as bad as you thought. Mm -hmm. But it can also go the other direction where, you know, it's worse than you thought. Yes. How do you deal with those ups and downs? Well, I think the thing I've had to teach myself... um, I like to solve problems, and I've learned to let some problems bake, if you will, instead of reacting in the moment, because I found that when I do that, I often don't have all the facts, and maybe I put the wrong solution on the problem or cascade some other issues. If it's urgent, then we're going to get a team on the phone and we're going to deal with it. But I think that emotions are powerful in a leadership role, but they can also kind of be powerful to your detriment. So the best thing is, as I when I borrow from my friend Winnie the Pooh. I like to think it over and think it under and then come back with a solution for my people and just try to listen when it's really intense, listen really hard and listen really long and it helps. I believe that. Yeah. That's really good advice. That, that's phenomenal. You said about four words in there that were highly impactful. You, you think once, you think twice and then you listen. Yeah. And I know a lot of the people that we've talked to on these podcasts talk about the power of listening. And when you walk into a room, you walk in wanting answers, not asking questions. And you want to get information. You don't want to force information. Yeah, as a leader, you have to have some very focused curiosity. You need to understand what's going on. It makes you better. It makes you think differently. And I think as a leader, when you walk in a room, people sort of sit back and they expect you to come in with the answers and very often you can change the dynamics in the room when you say no actually I want to hear your perspectives help me figure this out I don't know where I want to go today that is incredibly power again it gets to that transparency and culture that trust I listen to you I believe in you and you're not incorrect Matt that when you are the leader one of the best and toughest parts of your role is to empower your people knowing that their success is theirs and their failure could be yours and most likely is yours. Yes. Yeah. Trust. <laughs> one thing we always like to ask our, our participants is if you could say one thing to the undergraduate population here at the University of Arkansas, what would that be? It can be advice. It can just be a, you know a, a thought of yours. But if you want to reach out to the undergrad population, what would you want to say to them? I would say follow your passion. Find it and follow it. And it will take you to all the right places in your life. Thank you so much, Kelly, for taking time to visit with us about leadership and values. We really appreciate it. No, thank you. It was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. See, I have fun every day. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you both. Thank you for joining Leadership Web today. We hope that you found insight and guidance on leadership tools from this interview. Please join Leadership Web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey. Also, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn by searching Leadership Web.